Reading about Naomi Judd's life can give you vertigo. She's had more deep-down low points than a country song and more high points than the Appalachian Mountains where she was born. Along that roller coaster of a journey, of course, she and her daughter Winona recorded 14 number one hits as the Judds. What I'm trying to tell you characters is that we are not magical beings. You're not born with your destiny stamped on your forehead. We crawled over broken glass to get here. And you know how we did it? We didn't let anything stand in our way or anybody. They're fine guardian angels I know they can see Every step I take They are watching over me I'd not know where I'm going, but I'm sure where I come from. They're my guardian angels, and I'm their special one. Naomi Judd's Guardian Angels and Whispering Demons on this episode of What It Takes, a podcast about passion, vision, and Perseverance from the Archives of the Academy of Achievement. I'm Alice Winkler. Adame, this child is gifted. And I heard that enough that I started to believe it. If you have the opportunity, not a perfect opportunity, and you don't take it, you may never have another chance. It all was so clear. It, it was just like the picture started to form itself. There was no way in which a lie could prevail over the truth, darkness over light, death over life. Every day I wake up and decide, today I'm going to love my life. Decide. My advice is, if they're going to break your leg once when you go in that place, stay out of there. <laughs> and then along come these differential experiences that you don't look for, you don't plan for, but boy, you better not miss them. Journalist Gail Eichenthal had a very simple question for Naomi Judd when she sat down to interview her for the Academy of Achievement. When did you start singing? But Naomi Judd is a storyteller, and nothing in her life has been simple. I started singing when Winona was 12. That's a weird answer, but it was all predicated on her. She was 12 years old. She was beyond rebellious. Uh, this was a kid who had the attention span of a gnat. And we were living on a mountaintop in Kentucky with no TV or telephone, so you can't even imagine the um, resentment that she had for me at that point in her life. <laughs> I took her from living off the Sunset Strip in Hollywood to, on a mountaintop and put her in earth shoes and overalls and said, This is the drill. Welcome to the country. Pretend you're in the middle of a National Geographic special. You will plant a garden. You will learn how to take care of animals. You will communicate with your lovely eight-year-old sister, and you'll develop your imagination. And one night, I handed her an old funky guitar, um, just so we could keep from killing each other. And something magical happened when I handed her that guitar. She just, and I said, hmm. Very interesting. She just acted like it was an appendage of herself. And she would sit literally for hours hunkered over this thing. And I went, hmm. Now, 
if I was to participate with her, what would happen? And really, it was uh, it was that natural in evolution. We there was never you know any epiphany where he went, bingo, I've got it. We'll go to Nashville and be country singers. We were just trying to communicate with each other. Had a dream about you, baby. Had a dream about me and you. Had a dream and I woke up crying. Well, I can try, but I just can't stop. And the time's dragging by TikTok. Oh, my heart, it just can't love no one but you. Grim. Oh, my heart, it just can't love no one but you. This is the first song of the Judd's first album. When it came out in 1983, Naomi was 37. Winona was 19. At the time, a lot of people, myself included, had trouble remembering which was which. They really did look more like a sister duo than a mother-daughter duo. The album was an instant hit, and it announced the arrival of what was about to become the biggest country act of the 80s. Well, I was standing in line at the city bus stop Soaked to the skin from the ever raindrop I see you driving by just like a phantom jet With your arm around some little brunette You say you won't be home because you're working late Honey, I'm no fool, you've been out on a date Lipstick on your collar gives your game away It's strawberry red and mine's pink crossing Have mercy on me You treat me so bad, I'm in misery It's breaking my heart, can't you see? Baby, baby, have mercy on me These weren't just two related women with glorious voices, big red hair, and even bigger stage presence. To understand the phenomenon that was the Judds, you need more history, and there's plenty of it. So here's what led to Naomi living on that Kentucky mountaintop where she and 12-year-old Winona started perfecting their harmonies. So my daddy was a good old country guy, smoked unfiltered camels, drove a pickup truck, read Mickey Spillane, ran a gas station, went fishing and hunting. Never told me he approved or loved me because he just didn't know how. It was that generation. That's why I became a communicator. And a lot of my girlfriends, Dolly Parton, I've seen Dolly naked, um, (laughs) Reba McIntyre. (laughs) Let's just say she has tattoos and the butterflies are symbol. But the reason I got my personality was based in large part because I needed attention and approval from a very dysfunctional, unhappy, and communicative family. 
Flash forward now, I'm in my early 20s, I'm living off the Sunset Strip, and uh, I have two babies. The night before my senior year of high school, and I was a town good girl, I was 17, played piano at church, made straight A's, colored within the lines, kept my room clean, you know the type. Uh, night before my senior year, they call it date rape now, but an older boy in town had come by, got me pregnant the first time I ever had sex, first time my life because I was left alone to raise my siblings as the oldest. I was left alone because they'd taken my little brother who was dying of Hodgkin's to a hospital out of state. So this older boy had come by, gotten me pregnant. Uh, nine months later, on graduation night, on graduation night, I give birth to Winona Ellen. What are the chances to the day? So that was my first life lesson. I figured out because... I gave birth, that boy had left town without, we never heard from him again. Brian died, my little brother. Mommy and Daddy got a divorce because of all the turmoil. I was the town scandal. So that was my first big milestone. That was my first big, you know, personal ground zeros. Those are your milestones and your turning points. You get the test first and the lesson comes later. I hate when that happens. But my test was that change is the true nature of the world. Can you dig it? I love what Mark Twain said. The only human being that welcomes change is a wet baby. <laughs> but Darwin said that the one that survives any species is the one that's willing to be flexible, adaptable, and resilient. So my lesson was my first big lesson and milestone and uh, turning point was that I'm very resilient now. That's why I'm still here. Been kicked in the face a lot, and I'm still here. Now, flash forward, I'm, I'm about 22. I'm living off the Sunset Strip in Hollywood. <laughs> Over-materialistic, phony, baloney, superficial. And I'm working minimum wage jobs, patted on the butt and paid in pennies. Have to go on welfare for... Uh, health coverage for a little while known nationally. I'm divorced, taking them to the pediatrician with 104 temperature on the city bus. Everybody should ride the city bus once in a while, don't you think? So, I have no self-respect and no self-esteem. So we attract what we feel worthy of in life, right? I attracted an ex-con on heroin who beat me, almost killed me one night. I'm smarter than I act. And I started realizing, you know, this ain't working. Shoot. But that night was when I started figuring out my values. And I realized what matters to me was Winona and Ashley Judd, getting an education. To give her kids a better life, she'd have to get one too. So she started imagining what it might look like. How do I want things to be? Well, I'd really like to have a car whose primary code isn't Bondo. I'd really like to have a savings account. What a concept. I'd love to have medical insurance. And I'd like to be able to be in the same room with Winona Judd for a few hours without wanting to pull every hair out of her head. So I would just sit and imagine each one of these things, how I wanted them to, to come out. And I would go into prayer about it. The answer to her prayers was an idea. She'd moved back to Kentucky once she could save enough money so she could go to college 
and get a nursing degree. I had this very romantic, noble notion of working with my people in Appalachia. We're from Kentucky. And I wanted to work with the unloved and the unlovely and was putting myself through nursing school at that point so that as we lived in this splendid isolation on this mountaintop and moral or hilltop in Morrill, Kentucky, um, I was doing it for a multitude of reasons. One was to sort of decompress and demystify um, the Hollywood thing, you know, the artifice, the the greed, the commercialization, just sort of to turn down the background noise. And I needed the solitude definitely for my studies. And I really wanted the girls to understand their Appalachian heritage. I had already been hip to it my whole life, but I really wanted them to understand this very rich legacy that they had. And this was just such fertile ground for them to each tap into that um, intuition that gets beat out of kids these days. So when I took away all this overstimulation and they really had to hear their own inner voices and open up, like I said, Winona was 12 and Ashley was 8 at that point. And Ashley, frankly, didn't need music to communicate. She was one of these popular, well-rounded, straight-A kind of kids. Very autonomous. So I handed her a book, and the same thing happened. She began to develop um, a fantasy life with a written page, and she became an actress. She just finished starring in a movie with Robert De Niro and Al Pacino and Val Kilmer. And I look back on that summer and I think, as a mom, uh, I was literally getting out of bed every day going, oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. I feel ill-equipped. I don't know how to handle these kids. I'm just doing the best I can from moment to moment, living a paycheck away from the streets, and I got tired of being on welfare, so I put myself in college. And trying to to give Ashley what she so needed and deserved as far as stability and trying to give Winona um, something to get us through the day. And music turned out to be it, the thing that helped Winona get through the day. They'd sing together while doing laundry. And when I would join in harmony with Winona, we just get zapped. They started performing in town and around after her nursing shifts. And that's when they started using their stage names, Naomi and Winona. Before that, they were actually Diana and Christina. Nashville was the next logical move. For about 30 bucks, they produced a cassette tape of some of their songs. And as the story goes, Naomi handed it to a record producer who was the father of one of her patients. You know, it's the strangest thing to to hear other people talk or to read about yourself in print and to to suddenly see something sort of become folklore. And you know the truth of the matter is that it was just a series of very ordinary moments, actually. And Winona and I walked into RCA Records on Music Row in Nashville, Tennessee, March 3rd of 1983. 
in supreme naivete. I think I had on a $20 dress from the flea market and this old plastic gut string guitar. And our knees were knocking so loud we thought they could hear us. And we sat down in front of these big enchiladas and said, Hey, this is who we are uh, and this is what we do. And we sang a couple of songs that I had written, which were pretty wacky. They were pretty, pretty out there. And they said, go down the street to a restaurant and let us, you know, sort of talk this over. And they walked into the restaurant and said, stuck out their hand and said, congratulations, your RCA's newest act. Of course, we thought that everybody did it that way. <laughs> we were clueless. They were the big deal at that time in 83. I remember we walked down the halls and there was, of course, they had Elvis and Kenny Rogers in 1983. It was Alabama and Dolly Parton and whew, it was like the Hall of Fame, you know? Winona just walked in like, I'm in church. This is a, you know, sacred place. We didn't have a bio. We didn't have an 8 by 10 We didn't have zero zip zilch. You talk about falling off the turnip track. Mm -hmm. And I love it because that gives people hope. Because that's what we're all about is saying that, you know, technology is cool. It's, it's all great and the information highway and all that stuff. But you know what? Give me that human touch. Give me that one on one. You've been looking for love all around the world. David, don't you know this country? Girls still free. Why not me? Will you finally come down to your old hometown? Your Kentucky girl's been awake patiently. Why not me? Naomi had traded in her white nursing uniform and sensible shoes for rhinestones, sequined gowns, and heels. But even once the Judds were officially in show business, she was cautious and a little suspicious. And I remember when we signed with RCA Records in 1983 in Nashville, I was very clear to our manager and the heads of the label and to Winona and everyone, and I said, Okay, I'm going to try this. If it turns out to be phony baloney, I'm out of here. I'm going to go back and catch babies in the woods. <laughs> I'm going to do home visitation. I'm going to, you know, get my MD. Uh, but the strangest thing happened. I finally was got to be on stage for the first time, and I looked out at the sea of smiling faces and the steel and concrete sterile coliseum and we were just levitating the building are there any wild women out there tonight body i finally came around this goes ready to paint the town tonight ain't nothing gonna slow me down i did my time working all week tonight's on my tomorrow sleep I want to hear a band with 
girl's night out Honey, there ain't no doubt I'm gonna dance and dance Till the boys go home Well, it's a fine night to rock No watching that old clock Music, she realized, fulfilled her desire to help people, to heal them. She calls their story the ultimate American dream. I'm so stinking patriotic. <laughs> I have a flag flying from my front porch at my house, and uh, uh, I really understand because I'm such a free spirit myself. I really, really get it about how lucky we all are to be living in this country. Because I was born in a small town, Ashland, Kentucky, and I come from the ranks, you know, from a blue-collar, hard-working family. I didn't have anybody to help me or pat me on the head or write me a check or open a door for me or nothing. And the word dream, it's like it's in my DNA or something. I'm a... Um, a total dream chaser. Winona and I used to sing a song every night on stage called Dream Chaser because it was our anthem. We named our bus the Dream Chaser. We had it on the back of the bus and people see us going down life's highways and that's exactly what we were doing. We were just out there chasing our dreams. And that's a song cue if ever I've heard one. With dreams as big as the trees were tall knew I'd have nothing or I'd have it all And you all know what happens when the bright lights call You're either gonna make it or you're gonna fall Make it or you're gonna fall I'm a dream chaser Stargazer, that's what I am But I've always known I'd come back home When I found my rainbows in Rainmakers and heartbreakers Could never change my plans Dream chaser, that's what I am but that particular dream went off a cliff when Naomi Judd was diagnosed with chronic hepatitis C, which was a newly identified strain at the time, and one she almost certainly contracted from an infected needle during her days as a nurse. Back in 1991, there weren't great treatments for hep C, and Naomi Judd's liver was so damaged, her doctor gave her about three years to live. The Judds, who were at the highest of the heights, racking up country music awards and Grammys, playing the Super Bowl halftime, Madison Square Garden, the Oprah Winfrey show, they were done. They went on a farewell tour while Naomi still had enough energy to perform at all. One of the new songs for the tour was Love Can Build a Bridge, which also became the title of Naomi's autobiography. I'd gladly walk across the desert With no shoes upon my feet To share with you the last five bread I had 
to eat I would swim out to save you In your sea of broken dreams When all your hopes are sinking Let me show you what love means Love can build a One of the things that having a uh, life-threatening illness will do for you is it'll really stop your program. Because I was very much, um, I was very goal-oriented. I would say, okay, in five years, I want to have this many Grammys. In five years, I want this many platinum albums and this many number ones now. Um, and since my illness, I live fully in the moment. And I feel so bad for these folks that are just, well, how many things can I pencil in my daytimer today? And how many appointments can I make? And let's get that Mercedes and that Rolex watch and hang with the right folks. That ain't living. That's being a puppet. I had to finally add a word to my vocabulary, and that word was no. Because when I was a kid, you know, I made all A's, I kept my room clean, I colored within the lines. I so wanted to be loved because I genuinely loved people and I wanted them to, to reciprocate. And when we started really popping with the career, the demands and the you know, the constant pulls on us. I would sometimes go without sleep just so I could, you know, be a good girl and do what everybody needed me to do. And then when my illness came along, I had no choice. It was a life and death situation. And I had to say, no, my plate is full. Thank you. <laughs> because I had it backwards. I thought that this was a luxury. I thought that I was indulging myself if I would go off into the woods for a few days by myself. That was, you know, like some women go to a spa or go to Saks on a buying spree. What I always craved was solitude. So there are all these good things, and this is very, I have to really temper this. There are all these good things that have come out of my illness. Very, very valuable, um, precious things. And just because you have... Um, just because you have success, what the world calls success, doesn't mean that you're a prisoner of that. It simply means that you have more choices. And I'm so aware and grateful of that, to have options, because I didn't used to have very many. Naomi Judd was a poster child for gratitude when she sat down for this interview with the Academy of Achievement in 1995. She hadn't performed in four years, but she was still alive, and against all odds, her hepatitis C was actually in remission. As she explained to interviewer Gail Eichenthal, her experience as a nurse may have given her the virus, but it also gave her the wisdom to fight the prognosis. So after I'm told that I've bought the farm, that I'm out of here, that I had a couple of years, that will get your attention in a major way. <laughs> 
I had to, I really had to do one of these, wait a minute, this doctor, with all his honking degrees on the wall, he's not God. And all these medical books that I'm so enamored of, I just love medicine because I love finding solutions. These are not Bibles. She methodically pursued all the cutting-edge treatment options, the nutritional and spiritual ones too, and somehow it worked. I'm in total remission. I am living proof that it pays to believe in miracles. And actually, I guess I mean that on on a lot of different levels, you know. I think um, it's almost like our soul has certain assignments, and we don't get it. You know, we want to be cruising with the top down. But every time this stuff would happen to me, somehow, and I don't know um, the origin of it, but somehow I had an intuition. Well, of course, it has to come from God. I, I just would have this knowing that even though it was a piece of crap, that it was going to make me stronger that I was going to be putting—I was going to be putting new tools in my psychological toolbox. That it was all up to me to determine how I felt about it. When I couldn't change the way things were out there, I could change the way I felt about them. And I finally—it dawned on me that really control is just an illusion, and security is a superstition. The only control you really have is over yourself. And true security comes from inside. Naomi Judd's success, then, can be measured more in lessons learned than in number one hits. Her life has hardly been smooth sailing since this interview. In the intervening 20 years, she returned to the stage for two triumphant Judd's reunion tours. And she had a happy marriage for a while. But she also suffered debilitating near-suicidal depression and bouts of estrangement from Winona. Ashley, the successful Hollywood actress daughter, wrote a memoir where she described sexual abuse at the hands of relatives while her famous mother and sister were off chasing the dream. It's all very messy, very Judd. As Naomi put it in 1995, all of us should stop the car once in a while, take out the map, and see if we're going in the right direction. Naomi Judd has corrected course many times in her life, and no doubt there are forks in the road and secret alleys ahead. But, and I'm sorry, I can't help hitting this metaphor one more time, when she looks in the rearview mirror, she will always have the satisfaction that she lifted other people's spirits along the way. I know that life is made up of ordinary moments. That is, you know, the greatest percentage of our of our lives. But there are those tens on the emotional Richter scales <laughs> just kind of go off the graph, whether it's, you know, your graduation or, you know, having a child or getting married or um, actually, let's put that in order, graduating, having a child, getting married. Um, and I realized how enormously privileged I am because there are really in actuality only a few people who ever get to play the London Palladium or who get to headline at the Astrodome or Madison Square Garden or whatever and one of the ultimate joys for me in these experiences of getting to perform for the first time 
in Omaha, Nebraska with the Statler brothers is that I know I'm not special. There's absolutely nothing special or different about Naomi Ellen Judd. And I've always just felt like I'm their representative. I just get to be the designated hitter. So when I would get out on that stage and start twisting and twirling, I was doing it for all the, the single working moms, um, for all the women who were lonely and felt like they were just anonymous, you know, just a victim or a face, living a paycheck away from the streets every week or wondering how you're going to put a jar of chunky peanut butter on the table for the kids tomorrow night. I would be on that stage or accepting a Grammy at a podium or sitting on the couch at the Tonight Show and I just... It was such a humbling experience because I just felt like I was their representative. I was just the one who got to have the nice dress and uh, got to have the opportunity. Lovers really fall in love to stay Stand beside each other, call what may Promise really something people kept Not just something they would say Then forget Families really bow their heads to pray Daddies really never This is what it takes from the Academy of Achievement. Thanks so much for listening. I'm Alice Winkler. Funding for What It Takes comes from the Katherine B. Reynolds Foundation. You can find all our episodes on Applecast or wherever you go to hear great podcasts. Bye.